Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. Who run the world? Girls, obviously. But who runs the brands that provide the products and services that touch nearly every part of our lives? CMOs, that's who. However, in recent years, the tenure of the average CMO has been shrinking as the most nebulously defined role in the C-suite battles for relevancy in a seat at the proverbial long-discussed table. Today's guest is on a mission to reverse the trend and help CMOs claim their rightful place within their organizations. Katie Klumper is the founder and CEO of Black Glass Consulting, a firm dedicated to empowering CMOs, both as growth drivers and as individuals. Katie and I talked about the most common challenges CMOs face, why they and other members of the C-suite don't always see eye to eye, and the new skill set every marketing leader needs to master. All right, everybody, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast virtual studio. I'm very excited for this talk. Um, we had like a little kickoff call like I do with all my guests, and my brain's just been buzzing ever since. Uh, I am so happy to welcome Katie Klumper, founder and CEO of Black Glass Consulting. Katie, thank you so much for joining the pod today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to catch up. That makes two of us. That makes two of us. We are discussing a vitally important subject today, but before we dive in, I want to set a little bit of a baseline with our listeners, let them get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to found Black Glass Consulting. Absolutely. So hi, everyone. I am Katie Klumper. I'm the CEO and founder of Black Glass. Uh, my background is in advertising and consulting. I was the president of Kirschenbaum Bond, and then most recently at Deloitte, I was a partner. And I've lived around CMOs for most of my career and really passionate about them. Um, just as individuals, as leaders, you know, they're really powerful in terms of not only moving consumers and businesses and brands forward, but their ability to move society and culture so forward. So it's just been a passion point of mine. And as I was moving through my career, I realized there was this gap in the market that they weren't as supported as they could be, you know, as they start to really focus on um, helping these businesses and brands, very rarely did they have someone at their side that can help them not only on the enterprise side, but on the individual side. These are leaders that are going through a lot of different aspects as well. And so while the world didn't need another consulting firm, um, it needed a different one. One that was purpose-built for CMOs uh, with today in mind. And so we built it with CMOs at the center that both serve the personal and professional success and how those two come together. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, so I'd like to start off by talking about the CMO house, which is relatively new and kind of accidentally started at the the right exact time. I'll let you tell the story, but it's a good one. <laughs> yes. Uh, I started the business uh, 10 days before uh, the pandemic lockdown in the U.S., which uh, was not intentional, uh, but it just was the timing that existed. And I think a lot of people were trying to figure out what it meant for their businesses, for their customers, and, and even their families. And while I wouldn't necessarily recommend starting a business during that level of disruption, uh, it ended up being the right time for our clients and our CMOs as they were looking for a real modern solution, not big lofty plans, someone who's willing to get into the meat of it with them, both personally and professionally. 
And they wanted a community that could be a true support system that would have raw conversations as much about what wasn't working as what was. And what was interesting is you saw all these corporate boundaries started to lower and mm -hmm. that these CMOs were supporting each other regardless of the company they represented because of that time. And so, you know, I feel really grateful for the individuals who are a part of it because they truly believe in each other and support each other in a raw and unvarnished way that may not have happened. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a shame uh, how often something really big and bad needs to happen to bring us together, but you can't discount the quality and the good feeling of when people do come together. So that's really, yeah, and it really is. I mean, <laughs> I think that is a best practice. Don't necessarily start 10 days before a global pandemic, but if yeah. you do make the best of a bad situation, and that sounds like what you've been doing so far. Um, so dealing with CMOs from, I'm sure, a lot of different company sizes, a lot of different verticals, I'm sure you can kind of see where some of the commonalities lie and where some of the differences, but what are the most common challenges faced by CMOs as they strive to push against this shrinking tenure? I mean, we've heard about it for 10 years and it's somehow getting even shorter. Yes. And getting even more press uh, than ever before. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I struggle with the narrative around shrinking tenure. Um, I think it's a very nuanced data set and it's very easy to cast this narrative around shrinking tenure CMOs. What are they not doing right? And there are many CMOs who have a lower tenure because they've been moving into general management and president roles because of their incredible success. So tenure may not always be a bad thing, I guess mm -hmm. would be one kind of nuance to look at. That said, you know, CMOs, their role is more complex than any other C-suite role. And there's three trends that we keep hearing from our members. One is around representation. And they're the closest to the consumer, yet we repeatedly hear that they're fighting for the role at the executive table. And we even see this with the lack of marketing representation at the board. So how do we start to increase that? How do we start to increase the profile of marketing and consumer representation at the C-suite? The second trend that we see is really around relationships. You know, the old playbook of CMOs going in would be pick a new agency. You know, that, that would be the first mm -hmm. thing to, to change out the talent who's sitting there. And the new playbook is really around a deep focus on internal relationships. You know, we were talking to a CMO last week who said they spent their first year focused solely internally in getting their organization and their C-suite relationships really tied down so they could drive impact. And then the third one I'd say is results. You know, having short-term results are just as important as having a long-term view and how do you balance the two? So um, as we look to support these CMOs, the tenure will increase, but I would also encourage everyone to always look at it that there's there's two sides to that coin. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I'm glad, and that's actually kind of what our first conversation kind of let me into this whole new dimension about, you know, a short tenure, if you're just going to look at, one little metric. If you're just going to look at the click-through rate, it's not going to tell you a whole lot. But yeah, so it's very interesting that there are evolving jobs, that there are opportunities, um, and that it's not such a simple story. But so I keep going back to this earlier conversation. It's just because it's allowed me to kind of open my thinking. And one thing we talked about was the importance of a CMO's personal brand and really establishing and maintaining that and driving that through the C-suite. I would love it if you could explain a little bit what you mean to our listeners and then offer some tips if you can for establishing and maintaining and bolstering that personal brand. 
for sure. There's definitely a, a double-edged sword here and a constant debate in terms of what is the role of a CMO's personal brand versus them using their uh, equity and superpowers to drive their, uh, their marketing brand. And, and I don't think there's a right answer. You know, we've talked to a lot of people who debate this day in and day out, and it depends on what brand and what CMO um, you're talking to. But there is a, a case to be made on either side. You know, can by you putting yourself out there as a personal brand, are you increasing the profile of you as a marketer so you can get better talent? Because they see your point of view in the world, they see your values as a leader in a department, and in turn, that helps support the brand overall. There's some brands who really shy away from it because they don't want that to compete with that personal brand being representation right, yeah. of the corporate brand. So it really depends on the CEO. It depends on the maturity of the brand and there's pros and cons. Um, we have seen personal and talent brand start to seep in more to the CMO role, which will be interesting to watch that trend. Okay, so I want to shift a little bit momentarily away from the CMO. We know there's a lot of challenges. We know, uh, we, you know, we've heard that, you know, connect the business, show them, you know, data, all, you know, a couple of like lower hanging fruits, but are there deficiencies around the C-suite? Is it, you know, I can't imagine it's all the CMOs doing that they're not getting the seat at the table. Are there things that the rest of the C-suite could do to benefit themselves and connect a little more closely with the CMO? Yeah, I think for any CMO interviewing, they should be asking the rest of the C-suite, what is the role of the customer and marketing in their business? There are some organizations that don't prioritize marketing. And that CMO should know walking in so they know what the landscape is and how they can react to it and what it looks like. It's not treated all equal and it's hard because you know you see all these C-suites who sit on the same uh, line on the org chart, but mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that those are all equal roles and voices at right. the table. So as we talk about you know what could other C-suite level roles do, prioritize the customer. Even though it's a B2B or a B2C, how do they start to really use marketing to understand the proximity of the customer, the heartbeat, what do they care about, what are the values, what's disrupting that customer, and being able to understand who's the end user of their product or service, and being able to get the best out of that marketing group in addition to growth and revenue and all the other fantastic things that come from that group. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said it, um, that, that the rest of the C-suite is obsessed with the corporation and the CMO is obsessed with the customer and there needs to be a little yin and yang there. There needs to be a little data swap where everybody kind of understands the other side a little bit better. And absolutely. yeah, so you said before, long-term, absolutely. You want to build the brand. You want to leave some sort of legacy that doesn't work on a quarter to quarter to quarter basis. So do you have any tips for CMOs who are looking to balance the short-term wins with really putting something, you know, sticking a flag down that they could really claim as their own something long-term? Yeah. So we see a lot of CMOs who've been very successful plant a flag in a three to five year vision. No question about the role and the importance of that because that will drive the talent and the organization and those bigger decisions. But we've seen them alongside that have 90 day sprints. How are they going to execute those 
things to get to the bigger vision. So you don't see these strategies that sit around, you know, 18 to 24 months, here's this long transformation we're going to do. They'll say, this is a transformation and we're going to pilot this. And then we're going to pilot this and really starting to go to more of an agile methodology with their teams. So then they can show immediate return and do it in a way that's got a little bit of a box around it that then they can go say, you know, this worked or didn't work. So we should scale and to the rest of the C-suite, here's what we're scaling and here's the impact we're seeing. Yeah, more and more than just the the kind of baseline agile methodology, all of it. I mean, even the show and tell at the end. I mean, I think that is such a vitally important show your wins. You know, often that feels like, hey, we've got a lot to do. We can't stop in it. But if you don't communicate that, it's going to be lost to the wind. And then it's just about what's going on in that day. Did we have a bad week? Uh, so I think, yeah, I think communicating not only what our goals are, but reminding everybody and saying, so we made that. So before we talk about the next 90 days, let's all establish that the last 90 days were a great success or were a learning experience. I think communication is just key on every possible level uh, with the CMO and the C-suite. It almost feels a little unfair that it's the CMO and then the C-suite. Why do you think the CMO is so different than a COO or a CFO or a CEO just in role wise? So the CMO role, you could probably write 30 different job descriptions for. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. type of different you know, roles, are they a growth marketer? Are they an innovator? Are they a performance marketer? Are they a brand leader? Are they a capability builder? There's so many different nuances based on the skill sets and the changing marketplace. And we haven't seen that level of transformation with the other C-suite roles. And part of that is because it's directly correlated to the customer. The customer is changing at a faster pace than ever. So as a product of that, the the marketing department is also evolving and the skill sets get very, very broad quickly. And so Mm -hmm. it's starting to figure out, you know, how can you get the right type of marketer? How can you get the right type of team for the moment you're in? And you've even seen the trend around fractional CMOs because a lot of these startups in particular, they need a performance marketer. Then they need a brand marketer. Then they need a growth marketer. And they do need different skill sets. And some CMOs are incredible at transitioning between all those different skill sets. And some are fantastic at being really deep in it. And you know, it's interesting to see the fractional pieces and different ways that the talent model is shifting to adapt to that need state. ANA Marketing Futures and Demand Metric are proud to present the Future of Marketing Report, A Road to Hypergrowth. Our research revealed two starkly different groups of marketers, hypergrowth marketers who are poised to win in the short and long term, and laggard marketers who are adrift in a sea of uncertainty and stagnancy. This report is aimed to capture and share crucial insights that will help all marketers prepared for the future, regardless of their sophistication and the uncertainty that transcends the world. To get your copy, visit ana.net slash hypergrowth. What you said right there was just so important because I think one of the things uh, of overwhelm for the CMO, you think marketing and your first initial thought is the ocean of marketing. It's everything from performance marketing to brand building, to figuring out what we're doing in the metaverse to all of that, but not every brand needs that right now. So I think you said it like, what kind of marketing does this company need? What kind of marketing does this company use? And I just haven't heard that 
spoken about in that kind of term. And I just thought it was so helpful. So I'm just glad we're getting a chance to chat about it right now. Um, but you mentioned something just now, the, the expanding skill set. Uh, I think that is inevitable. I think that there are a lot of things that can be done through communication, through thinking with a shorter term, but there really are just flatly new things that CMOs need to become proficient in. What are some of those vital skills that almost regardless of situation, you need to have at least a handle on? CMOs are incredible at their craft. Like you think of the chameleon of skills that they've had over their tenure. It really is incredible. And while, yes, they could be more up to date on metaverse or NFTs or whatever the new thing is that's launching, which, you know, right now it feels like every three months there's something new that, that's hitting them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot. I would say the bigger win comes from getting access to new and unique talent that can upskill the organization and the CMOs. And we see the most brilliant CMOs have an incredible talent following and are able to bring in people who challenge them and the organization. And so I guess I would slightly reframe the question, which is, you know, what are the new talent groups that CMOs need access mm, to mm -hmm. that brings diverse talent and new perspectives? And a lot of times we cancel CMOs to look outside their industry. It may not be a marketer. It may be someone from a product standpoint. It may be someone from an organizational standpoint. It may be someone from an agency and looking at other industries and skill sets that would really diversify what you're bringing to the consumer. We're all consumers. So yes. how can you get as many of those into it? And we've had one client who did a brilliant job where they had their marketing department go sit with their customer for three months and like do the things with their customer and get into, in this case, it was for gaming. And they got really close to that. Normally it would be a brief with some research and a focus group and go to the agency, but they were like, we are going to learn gaming. I'm going to buy the console. I'm going to log in. I'm going to learn the game. I'm going to do it. And how can we bring more of that to the forefront? Cause you just build empathy in your communications and a whole different level of understanding. Yeah. Authenticity and nuance that you just can't, it's impossible to go out and buy. It's impossible to fake. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, I can literally just see spending 90 days, you get the pain pool. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's understanding on another level. And I think that there's, I've heard a bunch of brands like, you know, 3M, before they even really start refining their products, they take their betas out to the, the end user and it's like, rip it to shreds, you know, before they even start really honing in on that product and perfecting it, just the functionality of it, they bring it to the customer and just kind of insights from the jump. But I really love that they've embedded themselves with the customer. You hear, you know, go embed yourselves with sales or go embed yourselves with operations to see, but like embedding yourself with a customer in that level has to give you an absolute advantage. Absolutely. And just looking at those skills is just as valuable, even though it's not in marketing craft. Like we had another client who in the automotive industry hired a car nut someone who knew cars inside and out. And they mm -hmm. went to all the different festivals and they were not responsible for crafting communications, but they could be there to inspire the creative teams and participate and help them understand the culture and the nuance. And how do we start to bring that to the table that closing the gap between marketing and consumer will always win? That's incredible. An incredibly good way to sum that up. So Katie, if you don't mind, I would like to take a little bit of a left-hand turn now and ask some uh, questions we ask of all of our guests here at the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Is that all right with you? Absolutely. Let's do it. Excellent. Excellent. So this next one is 
something very, very important to me personally, but something I believe that is inextricably linked to innovation. So I would love to just get your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion. What a big question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we can do better is probably my thoughts. You know, I think that it's very easy for all of us to put together teams and initiatives and metrics, but it's complicated and it's hard and it's changing every single day. Um, every company has this on their metrics and as some sort of initiative and we can do better and we should do more. But I would say for me personally, I really try to focus on my children and help to teach them about it. And what does that start to look like? And how can we not only at the corporate level, but how do we help teach our children to be better people around it and more understanding it and see color and understand that and bring it to life in ways that we may not have had our parents bring it to life. Mm. Oh, I love it. I really love that. I mean, I appreciate always when our guests bring up, you know, what the industry can do, what businesses can do, but it really you get to the point, you need to go to the human level. You need to make a more accepting world and culture. And then we can go ahead and operationalize and bring it into business and scale it for the world. Um, Absolutely. So really good answer. Really good answer. All right, Katie. So this one is where some of the guests get tripped up. This is where things get a little more serious. Are you ready? So ready. Katie Klumper, founder, CEO of Black Glass. What's your favorite album of all time and why? This will not trip me out. I, I <sighs> promise you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. You, Slam dunk. Still time. Um, <laughs> I am ob obsessed with the brand, the person, the music, the artistry, the showmanship, all the things um, of Adele. I think she's Ooh, amazing. Yes. I think she's incredible. I think yes. her authenticity as a human being is incredible. And you see it through all facets of her life, of her music, of how she shows up as a leader. I was so disappointed when Vegas got canceled. Um, mm. But I appreciate her humanity and, and how she delivered it. But, you know, she had a quote in one of her interviews, which I thought was so telling. The reporter had said, you know, well, what do you think about like all these teenagers who may not like your music and it may not resonate? And she goes, you know what? She goes, I care about my generation. I'm making music for my generation and people who are in very similar situations to me. And that's what I care about. So she's like, I don't care what other people think as long as my generation understands it because they have very similar experiences and connect with my music in a meaningful way. And like, if you were to use a, a marketing analogy, there's someone who understands their brand, their authenticity, mm -hmm. their credibility, where they're not going to play. Um, so kudos to her. She's one of my faves. I love that. I love that. And it's just, I mean, it's one huge step to authenticity. I mean, if you're always playing to the kids, cause that's what you do, you're going to make mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't resonate with you. And what, what is the use of that? And kids, while you're listening, I know a lot of people got onto Adele when rolling in the deep hit. You need to go back before that because her catalog is wild before. Like, you know what I mean? That was her like make it to the big time. But as a fellow um, Adele head, she's got some crazy cuts uh, before that album. So I would recommend a deep dive whenever you've got some time. 
Absolutely. All right, Katie, let's bring it up to the present. Is there something you're listening to right now, be that an artist, a song, a podcast, or you're reading a great book right now? What's really, uh, what's really interesting right now and why? It might be the time of just like all these different um, podcasts and books and videos coming out around um, entrepreneurs, but I've mm -hmm. just finished reading Bad Blood and it's mm. really interesting to see just these stories of whether it's WeWork or Uber or Theranos or you, you name the startup that a lot of these um, different books and podcasts are really diving into recently. Mm -hmm. It's super fascinating in how a lot of these um, businesses and brands have scaled very, very quickly, have created a big talent following on what was like a facade, at least in the bad blood uh, situation, facade of a company. So I'm super into that and just understanding like the inner mechanics and psychology of building a, a business and a brand and how can we start to pull from the good pieces of it? Because, right. you know, there's lots of pieces that we should be ignoring. Um, <laughs> it's a wide but, spectrum of things. They yeah, but there are some interesting kind of learnings and nuances that, uh, you know, how do we pull from the startup community and some of the good aspects of it and bring it into the corporate world and what does that start to look like and i think a lot of talent would start to expect that as well so how do we get ahead of it and how we show up as better leaders and as better companies and so you know even for for us for example we're in all virtual environment we had closed the company for five weeks of the year we have unlimited vacation but a minimum of four weeks like we've really tried nice. to be progressive with talent and pulling from some of these other stories and startups of how do we have this feeling of reciprocity with our talent and how can we give to them as much as they give to us? And I can just tell you that goes a lot of times beyond like a nice bone, like really like that's how you sustain things. A nice bonus is like a, a couple of like rosy days, maybe a couple of rosy weeks, but that really feeling that you're seen as a person and that the interaction between employer employee uh, sometimes kind of gets smoothed over. So I love that idea of reciprocity. I'm very big on that. Katie, if there are some CMOs who before this were just anxious and now their shoulders are starting to come down, now they're starting to get an idea, but they want to know more, how can they get in touch with you and Black Glass? Absolutely. Uh, they can go on LinkedIn and follow me and hit me up and all those good things, or check us out at Black Glass Co dot com. Uh, we love chatting about trends and business and people uh, and all things marketing. So would love an opportunity. You heard it here first, folks. Katie, thank you so, so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for being a guest on the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.